are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast. You're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day listening to who? The always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, millerthomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles, my photos, and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account, or just look up Locked on Diamondbacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Locked on Diamondbacks your first listen every day. I would not be doing this podcast without you, the listener, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. But what are we discussing on today's pod? Well, we got JT Shorter, the second back on the pod, to discuss the Hall of Fame. Did the writers get it right? We're going to discuss David Ortiz's induction, the controversial guys, and even looking ahead to next year's ballot. So it's going to be a jam-packed pod as always. So let's get right into it. You are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. And without further ado, let's bring JT Shorter on the podcast. JT, come on down to the Lockdown Diamondbacks podcast. How are you doing today, JT? I'm back. Oh my God, you're yelling in my ear. I'm sorry. I'm back. The Cam Newton, I'm back. Notorious Cam Newton. Um, Good to see the fans. I'm back for my once a season podcast. <laughs> well, hopefully you're better than Cam Newton after he came back because it was pretty atrocious this season after coming back. So hopefully you're not atrocious on today's pod because JT, we brought you on the pod today because of course everyone is you know around the locked on MLB network right now is doing their ripping of the MLB Hall of Fame because it deserves to be ripped and we might do a little ripping on today's pod because we got a whole bunch I want to talk to you about the Hall of Fame JT. But I want to first start here on a positive note because. The man, the myth, the legend, Big Poppy, David Ortiz, Al Senior October, was inducted to the Hall of Fame. First ballot Hall of Famer, a DH. JT, David Ortiz, there's a little controversy surrounding him because he was on that Metro Port. He is a guy that only played, you know, 90% of DH in his career. Do you felt like he was deserving of his first ballot Hall of Fame induction? Absolutely, Millard. Uh, he's in the 500 home run club. He had over 1,500 RBIs, I think 1,700 around that number. And for only being a DH, he still came to bat every time, batted 286 lifetime. That's very impressive. And just think about his playoff career, too. I think most memorable is all those playoff hits he had and some big-time home runs to kind of push the Red Sox over the curse. Um, as a Red Sox great, to be honest, one of their best players ever. 
Not one of their best players ever. I heard Bill Simmons talking about this. He is on the Mount Rushmore of Boston athletes, and he is the face of the Red Sox. He is the most important player in franchise history. Maybe he's not the best player, but when you think about his postseason moments, uh, what he did culturally for that city, because we know they had some history of racism in uh, Boston. So what David Ortiz has meant to that city overall, especially, too, after the Boston City Marathon bombings, of course, uh, you were just able to rally that city. So I think when you think of, you know, the quote unquote, you know, character clause that might keep, you know, that has already kept some of these people out of the Hall of Fame. I think when you apply that character clause to David Ortiz, like it just it, it just increases his profile and the reason why he should be in the Hall of Fame even more. And like you said, you can't you, you can't talk about David Ortiz without mentioning his postseason hero- heroics because he did it multiple times. I mean, 2004, I mean, to beat the Yankees after down 0-3, phenomenal, multiple, multiple big hits in that series. You got 2013, the my, my all-time favorite clutch moment in any postseason and any baseball moment in history is when David Ortiz hits that grand slam late in the game against the Tigers off Joaquin Benoit, where you see Torrey Hunter, another dude on the list, just fly over the right field wall. That's a phenomenal moment. David Ortiz, when the game became pressurized and intense, there was literally no one better. I think David Ortiz is the greatest postseason performer we've ever seen. Whenever he got to the World Series, it was basically over. Here are some postseason numbers for David Ortiz, JT. He has a 455 average in the World Series. That's 20 for 44. He has 14 walks and only five strikeouts. His OBP is 576 and his OPS is 1372. His postseason career averages of 289 and 947 OPS is absolutely deadly as well. David Ortiz deserves to be, in my book, a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't care that he didn't play defense because guess what? When you got to the World Series, JT, you know what he had to do on the road? He had to, well, he oh. always had to. He had to play first base, JT. He had to play first base. And guess what? He was just fine doing it. He's not no gold glover over there. He's not, he's not an elite defensive first baseman, but he got the job done. He can fill a hole when the time is needed. So he played first base when it came to when it came time to do it during the World Series, and he usually dominated. But do you think him being linked to PEDs tarnishes his legacy in any way, or do you view him any differently knowing that he was on the Mitchell Report, which Rob Manfred has said, you know, it really doesn't have a lot of credibility to it. I think you give him a half asterisk. He was never caught. He was never caught or anything. He never tested positive, Mm-mm. supposedly, on any reports. And didn't affect his playing career. Other guys like A-Rod, Barry Bonds, um, they might have had some. They went to legal precedence or even uh, got suspended for a couple games. So a, a big poppy, a little bit of an asterisk, but still, overall career, you can't even discredit that. I think it was phenomenal what he did, not only in the play, with, uh, the postseason, but also early on in his career from the time he was with the, uh, the Indians for a while, or now the, the Gladiators. But... Um, <laughs> The uh, Guardians. The Guardians, I apologize. Weird name. Um, That would be a good name. (laughs) For sure. Um, But his career overall was just fantastic. He's an icon. You look up, you go on the watch TV, you're looking for Big Poppy. You see the 34 on a jersey, you know it's Big Poppy's jersey. Um, In Boston, he's an idol, um, probably up there with Tom Brady. So nothing, nothing but the best for him. And congratulations on him making the Hall of Fame. 
And he was definitely a Hall of Famer going into his last season as a professional player. But I think people have to go look at David Ortiz's baseball reference. He had the greatest season ever by a 40-year-old player. This is what Big Poppy did in his final year in 2016 at age 40. Led the league in doubles with 48. Led the league in RBIs with 127. Led the league in slugging with a 620. Led the league in OPS with 1021. Led the league in intentional bases or intentional walks as well. Finished sixth in MVP voting. All-star silver slugger that year. 315 average. Absolutely dominant. 38 home runs the last season. Was the greatest age 40 season I think we've ever seen in MLB history. I think David Ortiz was Definitely deserving from what he did on the field to what he did off the field. I don't think it's really a credible argument. Uh, I don't think there is a credible argument against David Ortiz to be a Hall of Famer. Now, I do think there's an argument. He wanted to say he wasn't a first ballot Hall of Famer just because if he had those trepidations about the Mitchell report or the fact that he didn't play, you know, a lot of defense in his career, then I would have been fine if you're like he's a second ballot hall of famer not first ballot but at the end of the day some people's logic is just if you're not a first ballot then you probably shouldn't be in the hall of fame at all and david ortiz definitely had the the career of a first ballot hall of famer regardless of what you say so i think he was definitely deserving of the first ballot hall of fame induction despite the you know the the potential for steroids in his career because i don't care about the mitch report that thing is fluky to me so i don't care that he showed up on that and the dude again he played his whole career during the testing era and never tested positive. His teammate, Manor Ramirez, was testing positive repeatedly. And Big Poppy was not. Like, I don't know much more you have to say about Big Poppy if you're using the Mitch report against him because the commissioner doesn't care about it and he never tested positive during a testing era. So how can you go against Big Poppy? But I want to ask you, JT, about some of the controversial guys. And I think I'm going to start with Alex Rodriguez. But before we get there, JT... You know what Big Poppy actually ate throughout his career to get that big? You know what you know what he was eating to get that protein to smash those home runs? What's that, Miller? He was eating a built bar because this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. It's the New Year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution. It tastes so good, you'll want to eat it. Like other protein bars, which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill, Built Bar is covered in 100% real chocolate. It's soft. It's easy to chew. Absolutely delicious. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. So it's great for that keto diet. Just go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your next order. Promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the podcast. And JT, when you look at someone like A-Rod, who I think there are some parallels to a David Ortiz just because they came up during the same era. A-Rod, you know, tested, I I believe he tested positive for steroids. If not, he's admitted to using steroids and was had the whole biogenesis scandal. And also, those two actually, I, I did some research a while ago. Those two actually played like on a Dominican team together or something like that, like when they're like teenagers. So they've been linked to each other for years now. So when you look at someone like A-Rod not making it, but someone like David Ortiz does, do you feel like A-Rod might have been robbed out of his Hall of Fame induction? Where do you stand uh, on A-Rod? 
Absolutely not. He wasn't eating built bars. He was taking steroids. That's for sure. <laughs> <Okay>. uh, <laughs> built bars filled with steroids. <laughs> he got popped and was suspended in 2014. That mm-hmm. whole season. Um, so he did get he did actually get suspended for steroids. Um, but his career, don't get me wrong, was a fantastic career. But I think the fact that he did test positive really taints it and kind of overshadows all the numbers he did put up. Think about this. Over his career, about a 295, which is higher than McPoppy's. Um, he also slugged for 550. He hit, what, 600 home runs, almost 700 home runs. Just absolutely insane um, for a 22-year career. Um, mm-hmm. But, again, those steroids, man, they catch up to you and – um, it, it's tough to kind of put him on the list, especially the fact that he went on to Mike Francesca's show and told him I didn't take steroids and then tested positive and was suspended the year after. Um, kind of tough to, to believe a liar. Um, that's for sure. I mean, I don't know if he, I'm not sure he actually tested positive outside the Mitchell report. He was suspended in 2014, I think mostly just for the biogenesis scandal and being on it. I think everyone definitely knew A-Rod did steroids, but I don't think he actually failed a test outside of the Mitchell report, just doing a quick glance at it. So I guess it's maybe unfair to say he tested positive for steroids because, again, if we don't apply the Mitchell report to David Ortiz, it's hard to apply it to A-Rod, but there was a lot of other reports outside the Mitchell report, like Jose Canseco writing a whole book and then the biogenesis scandal. There's other tea leaves and other areas where it's pretty clear that A-Rod probably took steroids in his career. So maybe A-Rod is still an all-time talent and a Hall of Fame talent, but just because his whole career was just muddied with steroid allegations and uh, it, it was just always in our face, like it's hard to give him his flowers when we know someone else like David Ortiz actually never tested positive outside the Mitchell port. He was never linked to anything else. There was never another accusation of Big Poppy doing steroids outside that 2003 Mitchell port. So it's kind of hard to compare the two because there were so many other instances where A-Rod was, you know, might have been using steroids at different points of his career. So I definitely think A-Rod probably doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame because I think if you're testing positive for steroids after the Mitchell port or if you're on some, you know, email list for a steroid company and it's being shipped to your house, then like, eh, that's enough evidence for me as well. So I definitely get why A-Rod is out the Hall of Fame. I mean, he's not off the entire ballot. He'll be on here again next season, but I definitely get why he didn't get voted into this year's Hall of Fame. And it's hard to imagine that he ever will be voted into the Hall of Fame because we just saw a whole bunch of steroid users go 10 years on the ballot and not be put in. And I call them steroid users, but Barry Bonds never tested positive. He just perjured himself in court. Roger Clemens, I don't think, ever tested positive either. I'll double-check that as we're talking as well. Sammy Sosa definitely seems like he took some steroids in his career as well. But all three of those guys, again, didn't make the Hall of Fame either after 10 years, after all their steroid allegations. And now A-Rod, the clock starts for him to see if he makes it. So after seeing the steroid guys on the ballot this year, do you think A-Rod ever makes the Hall of Fame? I don't think so. I think uh, this was his chance, and uh, since it didn't go the way, maybe, maybe at the very end, if um, people kind of change their mind, as I feel like we're slowly moving our way towards putting wanting to put these guys in the Hall of Fame. I saw a lot of love for Barry Bonds, even though he didn't make it. Um, still was getting love that he was one of the greatest players ever to play the game, which is true, steroids or not. Um, but I think maybe, maybe down the line, he might get a push to go in, but I'm not sure. With the baseball writers that are in now. Unless they're dying out quickly, I don't think uh, 
I don't think it'll change. Yeah, Clemens Hall of Fame for just steroid users or possible steroid users. <laughs> yeah, I just looked up. Clemens never tested positive. He just like bonds where it's like a lot of reports and a lot of links to steroids, but never a failed test. Except I think he was on the Mitch report too, possibly. I think he was definitely in Conseco's book. And it was another report that linked him with Andy Pettit. So Clemens, I think I'm putting him in the Hall of Fame just because basically my overall logic, and I've explained this on the podcast before. I look at the Mitchell Report as like the pivot point in MLB history when it comes to steroid use. Pre-Mitchell Report, pre-testing, all those guys, if any of them did steroids and they put up Hall of Fame numbers, I do not care. If you were not getting tested for steroids, if majority of the league or half the league, however many people in the league were doing steroids because it was just okay and accepted by baseball because they turned their blind eye to it, then those guys should be in the Hall of Fame. But anyone post-Mitchell Report that's getting repeatedly tested – and they test positive, then I think I'm going to be a little bit more hesitant. So even though Manny Ramirez is one of my all-time favorite players, it's hard for me to put him in the Hall of Fame. But the Barry Bonds, the Roger Clemens, the Sammy Sosa's, like Sammy Sosa, there's definitely feels like a delineation in his career because he was like a 25-25 guy for like the first 10 years. And then all of a sudden, age 35, he's like smacking 50 home runs. It's like, where did this come from? But I think I would still put someone like him in the Hall of Fame. And if you want to do the, I've heard this talk about a whole bunch, like if you want to do the whole, let's put a steroid wing in the MLB Hall of Fame, like I guess you could do that because it's a museum. But I would rather just put them in and not put an asterisk. I don't care for if they did steroids or not because it wasn't tested and baseball itself didn't care. We already have steroid users in the Hall of Fame because not all steroids have been banned the last 100 years. So there were guys in the 50s doing PEDs that are now retroactively banned. But you're not taking those guys out the Hall of Fame. So overall, the, the whole Hall of Fame discourse when it comes to steroids and these guys, it just, you know, it, it's pretty overdone and it's pretty monotonous and redundant a lot of the time. But I think we still need to talk about it because. They will have another chance. I believe there's some veterans committee where they can have a, a chance later in the year to make the Hall of Fame. But we'll see what happens uh, with the Clemens and a Bonds and Sosa. I think Bonds and Clemens have a stronger chance than a Sammy Sosa. Sosa, it's easier to look at his career and potentially see where he might have started taking steroids. But Bonds was like three time MVP by the time he was 25. <laughs> Clemens has like eight Cy Young awards. Like their numbers are just so insane. Like. Even if they did steroids, like it's still almost impossible to do what those two guys did. So I think I'm definitely okay putting those controversial guys in the the Bonds, the Clemens, the Sosa. And we didn't even talk about Kurt Schilling. So let's talk about him before we get to segment number three, because he's another guy, as I mentioned earlier. We bring up character clause. That's something that definitely helped David Ortiz in his Hall of Fame voting process. But someone like Kurt Schilling. It definitely uh, it definitely didn't help him because he's someone that has had some disgusting comments over the last few years that we won't get into. But still, the guy was a super talented pitcher. He was basically, if you look at the numbers in production, probably uh, it was like Madison Bumgarner-esque, I want to say, during the regular season. And then when he got to the postseason, he was one of the best postseason pitchers of all time. Won the 2001 World Series with the D-backs, co-World Series MVPs with Randy Johnson. He was literally pitching on the same level as Randy Johnson, one of the five greatest pitchers of the last 45 years or something like that. So I would personally put Kurt Schilling in my Hall of Fame because put the politics aside, he was a guy that was 
pretty damn good in the regular season. A low, I would say a low end number one starter. But then once he got to the postseason, it was dominant, absolute superstar pitcher. So JT is a Hall of Famer in my book. But how do you feel about Kurt Schilling? That's tough. He had a great career. Um, I don't personally, I don't see him as a Hall of Famer. I think he's just one of those great pitchers who we're going to just note down as a great pitcher and not a Hall of Famer. Um, the bloody sock moment was probably something they can, will continue to play on those uh, World Series montages. Um, but I don't know. In my book, I don't think he was a Hall of Famer. He had great numbers, don't get me wrong. But I don't think he dominated the league as much as we had thought over his whole career. You know, what, four, four Cy Youngs is pretty good um, over 20 years. But I don't know. I didn't see him as a, as a Hall of Famer in my book. He finished uh, second three times. Oh, and apologize, fourth second. Yeah. It's okay, sir. It's okay, I sir. I, I got the baseball reference pulled up. If he won <laughs> four Cy Young, JT, he's it wouldn't be interesting. Right we wouldn't, yeah, we wouldn't be having a discussion right now. Oh, he's also a three-time World Series champion, which is kind of interesting. I don't think people bring that up enough. He won 01 with the D-backs and then won two more with the Red Sox. His career postseason ERA is 2-2-3. He started 19 games in the postseason. A .968 whip. The dude was phenomenal. And in the World Series, like a big poppy. Seven starts, 206 ERA, 48 innings pitch, only 11 earned runs, 43 strikeouts, and only 10 walks. Again, the dude was dominant in the postseason. And I'm someone that weighs the postseason. I still care about wins and losses. I still think we play regular season games to win the big chip at the end. I know the Mike Trout supporters don't want to hear that. The playoffs matter. I know it does. I know you don't want to hear that. That's okay. But Kurt Schilling, he should be in the Hall of Fame because the postseason does matter. And like a big poppy, he was a lot greater on the greatest stage. Now, JT, we'll discuss some uh, biggest surprises not to make it. we got a whole bunch still to discuss. So this is going to be a longer pod than you might have expected today. But if you want to bet on something, JT, do you know where you have to go? No clue, no you have to go to BetOnline because this episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering for 2022. A new year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKDOWN to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. Let's get back to the podcast. Let me pull up my next note. And JT, looking at the MLB Hall of Fame list, were there any big surprises that stuck out to you? We already discussed the controversial guys, but outside of the steroid users and some of those players, were there anybody that stood out to you on the Hall of Fame where you're like, hmm, that guy didn't make it? Only David Ortiz? Honestly, Millard, I would say Todd Helton was one big surprise for me. Mm. I know it's his fourth year on the ballot. But he had a tremendous career, um, a what, five-time All-Star, an MVP towards the end of his career. Todd Helton might be one of the greatest hitters we've ever seen. What uh, baseball not, reference are you looking at where you're getting these MVPs and Cy Youngs from? 
He has no all-star. MVP. I said all-star. I said all-star. I he said, said MVP. We'll check MVP the tape. came in 13. <laughs> play I can't read the, all- <laughs> the baseball reference. He so he picked up an MVP he later in his career. five <laughs> all-star appearances from 2000, 2004. He owned the early 2000s. Right around that steroid testing era. So who knows what's going on in Colorado? Really. Yeah, peak um, years were during the Mitchell Port era. But I still think Todd Helton's probably one of the greatest hitters we've seen. Um, I think he was just very dominant around that early 2000s year. Um, never quite done. Did too much playoff-wise because he was on the Rockies. Um, but I think he was a great hitter. Another guy who surprised me um, is going to be Billy Wagner. Um just an overall great pitcher. I think he pitched for, what, 15, 16 years, which is quite tremendous just to have your arm arm be able to function that long and not see too many injuries. I know he started to fade, fade a little bit towards the end of his career. Um, but, again, another five, six all-star appearance guy. Um, maybe not the greatest pitchers you've ever seen, but I thought he was pretty dominant for when he played um, in that early 2000s late 90s time frame when all the guys are on steroids hitting bombs so yeah billy wagner is pretty good he's like top eight or nine all time in saves as a closer todd helton he was pretty good too he basically had like a seven-year stretch right here as one of the most dominant power hitters in baseball and then there was another few years after that where his power pretty much disappeared but he was still like a 300 hitter and still was a doubles machine and could still get your ops above 800 so i think i would put todd helton in I think I would probably give him a vote. I think I would probably give Billy Wagner a vote too. But Scott Rowland is someone that gets brought up a lot. I just didn't see enough Scott Rowland to really give an opinion. I knew he was pretty damn good. And whenever I played MLB the show, he was always one of the better players. His numbers definitely look Hall of Fame-ish. But I think Scott Rowland is someone that people feel like is a slam dunk. But I'm a little bit more hesitant than some of the other guys. Gary Sheffield is someone that I feel pretty good about when just looking at the raw numbers. Like the man played 22 years and he was a career 295 hitter. It's like a 25, 25 guy for like 20 years. Like Gary Sheffield numbers, I think are pretty damn good once you look at them. And also Andrew Jones is someone that sticks out to me. He's like a 10 time gold glover guy who averaged like 35 home runs a season for like nine years. Uh, pretty good the first few years at stealing bases too, which is like a nice little component of your game. Never a high average guy, but still a career 823 OPS. So I think Andrew Jones is also someone that's interesting. And uh, Jeff Kent is someone, I don't know. He had, a not, he had a very good career, but is he a Hall of Famer? I think he's probably right on the cusp as well. Won an MVP, so maybe Jeff Kent is a Hall of Famer. He's also someone, he's kind of like Scott Rowland to me, where they have the numbers, but I don't know. Something about them just doesn't feel Hall of Famous to me. I, I could definitely be wrong about that. And if you want to tell me I'm wrong, just tell me at Creator Thomas 24 for my personal account. I do not mind at all. Mina Ramirez, steroid stuff, I think just... I mean, the dude has failed like three tests. Like he's failed a lot of tests in his career. It was like one test. Maybe you could turn the blind eye, but it's been like two or three. Every time he comes back to baseball, he fails another test. So uh, he's probably failing a test as we speak. Mark Burley. I'm not on the Mark Burley train. He was a workhorse guy, but when you look at his numbers, he was like a career three, eight guy as an ERA FIP four eleven. So I'm not too big on Mark Burley. And then there's some other interesting names, but. I think a lot of these guys were Cuspers, borderline Hall of Famers, but not really like a Tory Hunter, Andy Pettit. I don't think they were actually Hall of Fame type players. So really just from the list of people who missed out, I think Bobby Ray was, 
Bobby Abreu is another guy who has really good looking stats, but probably isn't Hall of Famer. So I would agree Todd Helton, probably Billy Wagner, Sheffield and Jones. And then Kent and I think Kent probably has a better argument than Scott Rowland, but I don't think I'm disagreeing with anyone who has Scott Rowland or Jeff Kent in their MLB Hall of Fame. So uh, shout out those guys because they deserve a shout out. They had a great career as well. But JT, thank you for hopping on today's pod. But where can the listeners find you so they can see more of your work? Thanks for having me. I'm on Twitter at JT Shorter or JT underscore Shorter. Um, shoot me a message. I'm good for some chat on Twitter. So thanks JT, for having me on. No problem. Thanks for coming on last minute. Thanks for making some time today, sir. And that's it for this edition of the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. Thank you to everyone who turned tuned into today's pod. Thank you to everyone who makes Locked on Dimebacks their first listen every day. I would not be doing this podcast without you. It's free and available on all platforms. So please tell your friends. Go make your second listen of the day. Locked on bets with your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. If you want to put some extra money in your pocket. Come back next week for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. Go back and catch up on any pods you might have missed this week. And as always, stay safe and stay healthy. Deuces!